Water, an Avatar fanfic, written by Queen Dolliped, read by Dr. Fumbles McStupid. Warning, for suicidal thoughts, depression, and it doesn't have a happy ending. Summary, Zuko can't take it anymore. He's been hurting for too long. He has to tell Sokka, even if Zuko's beyond help. From the moment the early morning pull of the sun roused him from a dreamless slumber, Zuko knew. Since he first untangled himself from Sokka's sleepy hold and dressed for his meetings, he knew that today would be a long, draining, overall bad day. But the truth is, Zuko doesn't have good days anymore. Hasn't for a while. It took him a long time to figure out that what he thought were good days weren't so much good days as good moments. Moments where his mind could be wrapped up in the present, or with his friends, or on the task at hand, but never actually lasting more than a few hours. It's devastating, really, to know that there isn't a point to hoping for good days anymore. Life is better than it had been in years, and yet he still feels stuck. And no one knows. Not even Sokka, who brings so much love and light into his life that he feels selfish any time he isn't happy. Because Sokka deserves someone who's their best self with him, not someone who could at best be okay. Even okay is a high standard these days. This is the only secret between them, and it's massive and crushing. They've told each other just about everything else, from how a shitty meeting upended their day, to how an odd dish gave them food poisoning. Their reoccurring nightmares and greatest fears. Everything. Everything except how Zuko just didn't, on the whole, enjoy life. That he hadn't for a long time, but had held out in the hopes that things could get better. That as everything else slowly got better over the years, Zuko had hoped he would too. He never did. It's a lonely, heavy burden to bear, and Zuko doesn't want it anymore. He's thought of all the reasons to stay alive. His friends, his nation, his uncle, his sister, Sokka. But the more he thought about it, the more he realized that it was only for them. Only so that he wouldn't hurt them. Because even in his broken mind, he knows that his friends and family cared for him. That his loss would upset them. Not in the least because no one knows the extent of his internal suffering. His nation is a little bit better now. His death probably wouldn't cause a political disaster the way it would have in his early years as the Fire Lord. 
The assassination attempts still come now and again. But Zuko knows his lovely, idiot boyfriend would step in front of a flame or blade before Zuko could ever let himself be slain. He couldn't let Sokka or his guards or the Kyoshi warriors get injured, or worse, just for a vain attempt at dying in a palatable way. The other ways didn't sit well with him either. Images of Sokka or Suki or uncle or anyone having to find his body after taking the coward's way out made his stomach twist with guilt. Disappearing under the surf off an island far away would never bring closure to his friends, and he doubted they would ever give up looking for him. Back when Zuko was alone, having people who cared for him had sounded like the ticket to finally feeling full. The reality of it meant that he simply couldn't die without hurting someone. And it isn't fair. Over the last few days, the conflicting, complicated thoughts poked at him during every moment of wakefulness during meetings and mealtimes, even during the few leisure activities that mysteriously poked their way into his schedule. And Sokka is starting to notice. Radiant, beautiful Sokka always noticed when Zuko was lost in his thoughts. He'd place a hand on his knee, or, if they were alone, a kiss on his cheek or forehead, and that overwhelming love that Zuko has for him would pull him back to the present. His lips would curl into a smile automatically out of fondness for his boyfriend, and then Sokka's returning smile would make him feel a glow with warmth. But he hasn't been able to keep Sokka from worrying after him, and he probably never would. The distance between each occurrence of Sokka catching him drifting away is getting smaller and smaller, and Sokka's eyes grow sadder and sadder each time he brings Zuko back. It makes him ill to consider that Sokka might think it was because of him. Zuko can't let him wander anymore, and the only way he could ever truly convince him is with the truth. Part of him knows that he's been putting off this conversation for too long, mostly out of fear that this would break them, or hurt Sokka in an irreversible way. But the alternative is hurting him slowly over time. Pushing him away just as he's inadvertently doing now, watching his heart break a little every day. No, Zuko has to do this. Sokka has a right to know. Even if Zuko still fears what this might do to the love of his life, he can't hide this any longer. He waits for Sokka in their shared bedroom, surrounded by all the things that give temporary relief from the soul-crushing weight of his pain. It feels like minutes, then hours, that Zuko waits for him. He paces, he sits, stands on the balcony, lies on the bed. He sits on top of his desk, his feet pushing the chair forward and back thanks to the little wheels Sokka had attached to its legs a few months back. That's how Sokka finds him. The door opens, and Zuko's head snaps up to meet Sokka's blue gaze. A complicated mix of relief and dread and warmth floods him when he sees his beloved, and a small, sad smile curls his lips. Sokka instantly must see how wrung out Zuko is, because his face falls at the sight of him. He closes the door hurriedly and rushes over. Baby. His boyfriend pushes the desk chair aside, coming to stand between Zuko's legs. Zuko reaches up to cup his face, cradling the head that bears the weight of such a beautiful, brilliant mind. Agni. What Zuko wouldn't do for this man. I love. Zuko greets, tilting forward. Sokka lets him slot their lips together, but the hands at Zuko's waist flutter nervously not quite squeezing in the passionate embrace that Sokka is known for. It makes his heart ache to know that Sokka is scared, 
and not that he shouldn't be, maybe, but that Zuko is already hurting him by being unable to keep his emotions under control. They part slowly, the tense conversation about to happen hanging in the air. Maybe Sokka knows that he's finally going to get some answers, but the look in his expressive eyes tells him that he's unsure how much he wants to hear them, fearful of the implied bigness that surrounds them. Uh-huh. Zuko feels the tremble in his voice, watching his thumb shake as he tries to trace a soothing path along Sokka's cheekbone. I have some stuff to tell you. Sokka sucks his lower lip into his mouth, gaze flicking between each of Zuko's eyes. Zuko swallows, stealing himself. It's kind of a lot, he says softly, and I need to just get it all out, okay? Sokka nods into his hands. Zuko kisses the crease of his forehead, giving into the overwhelming urge to comfort his beloved, even as he prepares to potentially break his heart. It's not a breakup, he clarifies. But it's... He trails off, pulling back to see if any relief crosses Sokka's face. None. Zuko forces himself to close his eyes. Agni, he's really doing this. He feels every muscle in his body go rigid with the impulse to run, to make up a thin yet plausible excuse for his actions as of late, and not put doubt in Sokka's mind. But part of him, the bit that's selfish and inexplicably lonely, is ready to purge everything, to get it all out in the open and not be a liar anymore. He releases a held breath, opens his eyes, and for once, doesn't think, just lets the words fall from his lips. What comes out first is, I need you to know that I love you so much. He's surprised that the words still manage to make him smile weakly, even during this. It would break his heart to ever let Sokka doubt his love, so offering him that little bit of reassurance feels good, even if it makes his insides churn. I never thought I could be loved, and I always thought that's what I needed to be okay, happy. I thought that love was the missing piece I'd never have, and that's why I would always hurt. The swell of emotion hits him hard, as suddenly tears threaten to spill over. He's glad that Sokka has silently agreed not to say anything until he was through, but he can see the pleading reassurance in Sokka's eyes. His warm hands squeezing around Zuko's hips, and the simple act of encouragement makes him ache with fondness. The image of Sokka's face blurs a little more. But then we fell in love, Zuko continues. Sokka cracks a reluctant smile, guarded. And I love you so much, Sokka, but I was wrong. Because if that's all I was missing, I should be whole by now. The next bit comes out rushed, automatic and pleading. And I'm not questioning your love or us or anything because, Sokka, you're the best thing about me, and I know you love me too, but... But... Sokka's pain is so visible, so poorly concealed in the way that it twists his lovely features. And Zuko wants to take it all back. He sees the tears pooling in his beloved eyes, and squeezes his eyes shut around his own to power through, even though the words make his voice thick. I hate telling you this. I wish it wasn't true. I know you want to tell me otherwise, but Sokka, I feel it. I felt it for so long, and the pain just doesn't go away. He opens his eyes and braves some more eye contact, because Sokka deserves it. He needs to know that it's not his fault. Sokka, you're so, so good. So beautiful and strong and amazing. 
We do have real joy together. Real love. I know we do, but... Zuko tries, ultimately fails, to force the tremble out of his lip. Sokka reaches up to cup his cheek, and Zuko quietly accepts the comfort, turning his head into it. His hands slide to the back of Sokka's head, his thumbs only barely brushing the sharp line of his jaw. Any other time, Zuko would ease the tie out of Sokka's hair and soothe his fingers through it, gently undoing the knots and tangles on his way down, and massaging his scalp just the way he likes. It wouldn't feel right, now, so he holds, searches. He's had a lot of time to ponder how he'd explain this next bit to Sokka, but it doesn't make the words any easier to say, nor do they fill him with any less dread. Your pockets of air underwater, a deep, refreshing breath that fills me up, eases the burn in my lungs. He feels his fingers shaking. Sokka tries to steady him, but he looks unbalanced, too. The tears are falling freely, and there's no stopping them. He can barely stop himself from sobbing. Sokka's lip is also trembling, he notices. His boyfriend tries to interrupt the flow of Zuko's tears with a swipe of his thumb across his cheek, but the tears flow down the same path. Zuko turns his head to press his lips against the thumb with a shaky kiss, because Agni, Zuko loves him so fucking much, and seeing the helpless look in his eyes is painful. The next words come out soft, broken as Zuko feels. But there's still too much water. I'm still too deep. I can't breathe. And there's no surface in sight, and what's up could be down, and there's nothing but water surrounding him, filling him, consuming him. He bites back these thoughts, which spiral so quickly and suffocate him just as much as the metaphorical water in his lungs. When Zuko tries to take a deep, steadying breath, it comes as a sharp gasp instead, and then he's fucking sobbing, his whole body shaking with the failed effort of pulling himself together. Sokka quickly drops his hand and surges forward to crush Zuko against his chest. Zuko clings helplessly to Sokka, dropping his head on his folded arms and digging his fingers into them when he feels Sokka start to shake beneath him. It's not fair. Why can't Zuko just be okay? Why did he have to carry this burden at all, let alone weigh Sokka down with the force of it? Loving Sokka was never supposed to hurt him, and Sokka surely doesn't know that loving him would come with such heartache. For himself, Zuko would never take it back. Falling in love was one of the most beautiful things he ever found in this world, something he never thought he'd get to do, and something he'd recall fondly on his deathbed. For Sokka, Zuko would turn back time and never let things get this far, never let it get to the point where Zuko's pain could hurt Sokka so deeply and fully, make it so that Sokka wouldn't want to try and heal him, or hold him, or feel disappointed when Zuko didn't get any better, as if Zuko could, in any universe, have any control over that. Zuko's a coward, and he knows it, with Sokka holding him like this, wrapping him in so much warmth and desperate, fierce protectiveness, it should be impossible to feel anything other than loved. And Zuko does feel loved, but also adrift and despaired and broken. He has dozens of little reasons to want to live, and none of them move him. And he's a coward for saying that. Not to Sokka's face, but whispering into the space between his sobs, loud enough to be heard, but soft enough to convey just how heavy they are. I can't do it anymore, the pathetic little voice breathes. I don't want to anymore. It'd be so much easier to just let the current take him, 
to get pulled under and fill with water and embrace the finality of it, to never have to take a deep, hopeful breath, only to lose the surface again, to not have to fight a losing battle or stave off the inevitable. Sokka leans away, still holding him like the fragile, pathetic thing he is. Zuko starts at the pained, desperate look in his puffy, red-rimmed eyes. He parts his lips in a vain attempt to try and reassure Sokka. But before he can do that, Sokka closes his eyes and leans in to press kisses across Zuko's face. His cheeks, his forehead, nose, everywhere. A fierce, desperate press against his lips, as if Zuko might fade away in this exact moment that Zuko is too shaky to return. Zuko can only close his eyes against the onslaught of affection and desperation from Sokka, the emotion within himself. He forces his eyes and mouth closed, if only in an effort to stop the way his teeth begin to chatter with the force of his trembling. Agni, it was never meant to be this way. Once Zuko's tight-lipped sobs give way into soft, shaky sniffles, Sokka pulls back and really looks at him. He cradles his face in a way not dissimilar to how he's held Sokka earlier, before giving a run at breaking their hearts. Sokka, too, is still crying, the tears falling slowly down his face. He opens his mouth to speak, then seems to stop himself, snapping his mouth shut and looking away for a beat. When he looks back at Zuko, his expression is unsure, beseeching. And oh, right. Zuko had asked him to wait until he was done. He... Yeah. He pretty much laid it all bare at his feet. There is no taking those words back, and nothing he could add would change what Sokka already knows. Is there more to unload? Possibly. But Zuko feels raw and exposed, and far too many unspeakable things have been said already, and hearing them out loud hurts so much more than hearing them swirl inside his head. He nods, granting Sokka permission to speak. The grip on Zuko's face tightens, a grounding pressure that urges him to meet Sokka's eyes. He does, because he owes Sokka that much after the cowardly way he'd spoken his darkest truths into Sokka's ear, without giving him that courtesy. I love you, Sokka says fiercely, his voice unwavering despite the way his hands shake. Zuko closes his hands around Sokka's wrists, squeezing. I know, he says just as strongly because that's the part he needs Sokka to understand. He knows. He knows. I know, Sokka echoes. He searches Zuko's face for a moment, then closes his eyes, tipping Zuko forward to press their foreheads together. His beloved takes a deep, steadying breath, and when his eyes reopen, Zuko's struck by how beautiful they are, even shining with fresh tears and the weight of their conversation etching pain into them. Up close, Zuko thinks he's trying to bore into his very soul. His beaten, adrift, withered soul. Why, he starts. Zuko licks his lips, nervous again, fully anticipating the question, but not at all prepared for it. Why didn't you tell me? Zuko hates the pain in his voice, hates the way he feels like he betrayed Sokka by not telling him earlier. He had his reasons, of course. The very reason Sokka is asking after. I didn't want you to think it was your fault, Zuko says softly. I was worried you'd think it was because I didn't love you enough, or because you didn't love me enough. I couldn't let you think that. Sokka's face, already so distraught, crumbles even further at Zuko's words. Sokka looks away, and Zuko feels the panic rising again. He reaches for Sokka gently, 
turning his face back to him and sliding his hand down to his shoulder when Sokka reluctantly complies. Please believe me, Zuko pleads, his voice cracking all over again. Spirits, this is miserable. If only Zuko weren't so pathetic. I love you, Sokka. I know you love me. It's not that you're not enough. Please believe me. Once again, Zuko falls apart, his worst fears spiraling out in front of him. This is why he didn't want to tell Sokka, because of course he would feel this way. Lovely, warm, passionate Sokka. Zuko had been so selfish in disregarding his own insecurities to put this on him, and now he'd hurt Sokka, and there was never a reason for both of them to hurt. Sokka shushes him urgently, this time pulling Zuko forward to lean against his chest. Zuko goes easily, selfish, pathetic thing that he is, curling into himself while Sokka wraps his arms around him. Sokka holds him strong and fast, running his fingers through Zuko's hair, and like a mantra, repeating, I believe you, I do, and I know, Zuko, I know. This is worse. This is so much worse, because now Sokka's forced to comfort him again, just because Zuko can't keep it together while he hurts the most important person in his sad little life. Stop, Zuko pleads, his voice teary and wobbly. He tries to push himself away from Sokka, but his boyfriend just clutches him that much tighter. Sokka's just saying that. He's only saying this to try and make him feel better. But there's no way Sokka could understand, because even he can't understand why being loved by the most beautiful man in the world doesn't make him want to live. Sokka kisses the crown of his head, rocking them slowly as a litany of broken apologies fall from Zuko's lips. And now Sokka's once again, stuck waiting for Zuko to get it together, which he eventually does, if only because his eyes are burning from crying himself out his body heavy and weary. This time, when Sokka leans away, he crouches in front of where Zuko is slumped forward. His hands find his face again, and there's nowhere to look but the gorgeous blue eyes of his best friend, the love of his life, so unlike the depths of tide that keeps Zuko trapped below the surface. No, Sokka's eyes are like the sky, shiny and bright and full of life even after all that Zuko's put him through. Zuko imagines that his own are muted and dull, lackluster and empty, like he feels on the worst of his days. Sokka gives a gentle shake, and Zuko forces himself to refocus. Listen to me, Sokka says, strong for the both of them, another unfair burden that Zuko's dropped on his shoulders. I love you. Look into my eyes when I say it. You say you know it's true, so look. I love you, Zuko. Zuko looks. He watches Sokka's unflinching gaze. Like he said, he knows it's true, and sees the truth in Sokka's eyes, just like he always does. He nods into Sokka's palms, but nearly stumbles when he realizes that the contact is the only thing keeping Zuko from sagging into a crumpled puddle at his feet. Immediately, Sokka shifts, laying a steadying hand on his shoulder, while the other continues to support his drooping head. Okay, keep looking. Sokka says. His boyfriend always has this beautiful determination for everything. Zuko's admired that about him for years, even before they were dating. Now he has just enough presence of mind to be envious of it, to want to want things the way Sokka does, to feel that for more than just fleeting tasks or setting up the government to survive his death. Another shake. Zuko. Zuko looks. Sokka seems relieved when Zuko's eyes refocus on him. 
I love you, he repeats sternly. And I believe you, Zuko. I... It's not me. I believe you. He watches, waits for Sokka's expression to change, looks for the subtlest quirk in his lips, or a flicker across his eyes, but it never comes. Sokka's not lying. He believes him. Zuko could just about sob with relief, feeling his blank expression give way to a soft, pleading tremble as he reaches to pull Sokka towards him. He brings Sokka up to meet his lips in an urgent, desperate kiss that he hopes conveys all of his affection and gratitude. Sokka accepts the press, but neither of them move to deepen it. Sokka slowly rises to stand so that Zuko is no longer hunched forward and holds the contact until Zuko breaks it with a small peck. Thank you, Zuko says, as if it could somehow encompass everything. This time, when he brushes Sokka's cheekbone, it brings a small, raw smile to both of their faces. You're welcome, Sokka says quietly. But Zuko, we're going to get you help, okay? Zuko's expression falls. Help? What help is there? He'd already learned that love couldn't save him. What else is there? Sokka tilts his head to the side, his smile faltering just a little. I love you, baby, he says for the upteenth time, though Zuko could never complain. He'll never tire of hearing it, never tire of saying it back. Sokka brings his hand up to kiss his knuckles in response before continuing. I don't know any medical stuff, but if doctors could help Azula, then I think they can help you. Zuko considers this, letting his fingers glide through the long strands of Sokka's wolf tail. There's a name for what happened with Azula, a cause. Their father's emotional abuse and warped teachings had turned Azula's mind against her. But Zuko doesn't feel like his hurt had a cause. It's always just there. The simmering dread that he buried under anger or tried to ignore. What he thought was just feeling unlovable or a lack of content with himself because he needed to be or do more. How could there be cause to something that had been a part of him for as long as he could remember? I don't think it's the same. Zuko says after a moment. There's hope in Sokka's eyes. It's hard to recognize. He hasn't seen it in his own reflection in months, but that's what it is. It might not be, Sokka says. But look, I think talking to someone couldn't hurt. There are a lot of people that saw doctors after the war because they just couldn't deal with not being in one. Another cautious smile, a playful edge forced into its tone. Hell, you remember I saw one, yeah? All the I'm-useless-now-gimp-leg stuff? His instinct is to reassure Sokka, but Zuko guesses that's not the point he's trying to make. Still, he squeezes Sokka's shoulder as he nods. Right, yeah, Sokka continues. Well, it helped me. I don't feel like that as often anymore. Zuko shrugs helplessly. There's no excuse or explanation that comes easily to his lips. There are no words for the emptiness and certainty with which Zuko feels he is beyond any kind of help. Zuko. Sokka wraps his arms around his middle. Zuko returns the embrace, looping his arms behind Sokka's neck. They helped Azula. They helped me. They helped countless other people, yeah? Zuko nods. Okay, well, we have to believe they can help you too, right? He feels himself take a deep breath. The two of them watch each other for a beat. It's a funny way of putting it. We have to believe. As if this is the final resort. 
except Zuko's had enough last chances over his lifetime that he, at this point, was ready to choose how it ended rather than prolong it. But Sokka is kind, and seems to see him struggling. I wish I could help, Sokka says sadly. Zuko knows that too. He can only imagine how helpless Sokka feels in this moment. Zuko aches to alleviate some of that, but then again, that's the entire issue, isn't it? Zuko thought that love could save him too, but it's not as simple as kissing the doubts away, as holding each other through the nightmares and making each other smile. Smiling through pain isn't easy. He doesn't now because even though he's broken, he still feels the warmth from Sokka's earnest love. It's not that Sokka's love isn't enough, it's that love isn't enough. Healthy sleep habits aren't enough. A family of turtle ducks isn't enough. Regular meals aren't enough. Safety isn't enough. Nothing is enough. And Zuko's tired. Do you want to try it? Zuko forces himself to meet Sokka's eyes. He pictures himself underwater again, a pocket of air between the rocks below. It's shrouded by darkness and the unknown, but nothing else around him is any clearer. Are the rocks even below him? Does it make sense to swim towards them, when his next breath of air is so uncertain? He pictures Sokka's face crumbling in despair, whether he finds Zuko's body or reads a parchment informing him of his death. He thinks of making Sokka grieve him, of leaving him with no one to remind him that it wasn't his fault, that there was no saving him because he'd already given up. Was Zuko expecting this conversation to be more of a goodbye? No, he hadn't. He'd told Sokka this wasn't a breakup, and he meant it. Maybe his twisted, desperate heart wanted one more last chance, wanted to give Sokka the opportunity to try and help him. And frankly, Zuko owes it to Sokka to try, to not give up without trying this one last thing, no matter how far-fetched it seems to him, to not take Sokka's hope and crush it beneath his boot without giving them a chance to live before he died. This time, Zuko does give in to the urge to free Sokka's hair from its tie. Maybe he can't ease their troubled minds, but he knows that Sokka loves when Zuko plays with his hair, and Zuko loves how it feels against his fingers, and how Sokka sighs at the gentle, soothing pull against his scalp. And even now, when Sokka's much too wound up to truly relax into his touch, he flashes him a cautious smile. The simple, repetitive motion eases some of the hammering in Zuko's chest. The familiar drag and the slight resistance against fingers grounding him. Zuko leans forward, pressing his lips to Sokka's cheek, then his forehead against his. For you, love, he says. Yes. Once again, the truth makes Sokka's beautiful face crease with concern. And for yourself? he asks. Zuko stills. It's a fair question, given Zuko's poor yet accurate phrasing. It wasn't quite what he meant to say, but the words can't be taken back. When Zuko's hand in his hair doesn't resume its motion, Sokka leans away. He watches him, waiting for Zuko's reply. All Zuko can really do is shake his head because, I won't lie to you, Sokka. So I... Sokka stops, swallows. You're only still... for me? Zuko doesn't blame him for falling short of the actual words he implies. Knows very well how easily they can get caught in one's throat. He said more than he ever intended to, but even then he hasn't even attempted to bluntly express the idea of taking his own life. Not just for you, 
Zuko says softly. Sokka takes a deep breath and releases it in a shaky exhale, but his frame remains rigid. But none of the reasons are for you? Zuko looks away in lieu of responding, the answer loud and clear. He prays that Sokka doesn't ask him to elaborate. Carefully, Sokka hugs him to his chest again. Zuko clings back while Sokka tries to assure him that he's brave for telling him, that by doing so it shows that Zuko still has some hope, even if he still somewhat disagrees in the privacy of his own mind. Sokka promises that Zuko can always tell him when he's feeling this way, promises that he won't give up on him, that he'll support him however he can, that he loves him and believes in him. He doesn't promise that it'll get better, because Sokka never promises things he can't control. But Zuko doesn't want Sokka to mourn him, so he'll try. The End Reader's Notes So, this story hit really hard. Um, I have bipolar disorder, which is where you have high phases where you're manic, and then low phases where you're depressed. And my um, and you can cycle more rapidly or less rapidly depending on um, how your bipolar expresses itself. And for me, most of the time I have low-level depression, and then I have manic phases about every two to four months, and then sometimes usually happens once a year or every two years. It's been two years since it happened to me. I'll have really ridiculously low phases, like low where Zuko is in the story low. Um, and I was diagnosed with mental health issues when I was like 10. I had they were I was diagnosed with like ADHD, and when I was 12, I was diagnosed with depression. Uh, it wasn't correctly diagnosed as bipolar until I was 18, um, but it's been a thing that I've been. Uh, I've been dealing with for a long time. I'm 32 now, just to put it in perspective, and sometimes are worse than others. High school was fucking hell. I was depressed all the time. I mean, I was made fun of by a lot of people because um, I'm on the autism spectrum too. Yay. And I wasn't diagnosed with that until I was like 22 because uh, girls hide that shit better and uh, harder to diagnose apparently. Um, so I was made fun of a lot and that didn't help. And my medication wasn't correct, so I was depressed a lot of the time. And um, and this story portrayed it so beautifully, the wording of it being pockets of water under air um, would be not like, I'm aromantic, so I've had crushes but never really been in love, so that's not a thing for me. But uh, moments with my friends or my family would feel like that. Um, it, in like Zuko, it is like a realization coming to that because like I keep track of my moods and stuff like that. And when I'll talk to someone, I'll be like, today was a good day. And for the good day, I managed to read a story and go to the store and go grocery shopping. And I'm like, that's a good day. That's a seven or an eight. But that's not a good day. It's not a good functioning day by a neurotypical level of um, thinking, right? It's just it's just not an it's just not normal level of functioning and you know the days that i think are good days aren't necessarily good days they're actually you know pretty bad um and realizing that and trying to remind yourself of that that um that's not how you should be functioning can be really hard it's a thing i've struggled with a lot um with uh 
Um, I had to go out and get my charger because I had a low battery on my laptop. But um, I think that's what I was saying was that uh, you have to remember that for changing medication and stuff like that. What you're actually doing and like going to a um, doctor and saying like, oh, yeah, I thought I was doing good when like your good level is like I got out of bed and I went to the grocery store today and like is is not helpful because you're not actually doing well. Um, that's also not helpful. It's also not helpful in that I have ADHD, which and depression, both of which cause um, memory problems. So uh, I just don't remember what I was feeling like two days ago, right? I only remember like what's currently happening. I currently get around that, like I have a mood tracking app that I use for that sorts of things to help with my doctor, but getting used to that is a, it's a hard thing to do and you, you have to be on top of it for your mental health. Um, and the suicidal ideations is the thing that I deal with. I mean, even when I'm low level depressed, when I'm just like, once the type of thing where I went to the grocery store and got out of bed, you know, oftentimes I don't think about actively killing myself, but I think about, you know, it would be better if I didn't exist, right? If I just didn't have to struggle and just wasn't here, um, that would be better. I'd be that. I'm lucky I've had a couple suicidal um, times. And when I talk about like once every one or two years, like I get one of those really, really low moments. Um, I will think about suicide and stuff like that. Luckily, I... Um, I am the type to reach out to people and I've never tried to do anything. Um, but it's hard. Like those days, like I lay in bed crying, just like thinking about, you know, ending it. Um, and I haven't done it. And I've lived like Zuko's lived where there isn't, where it's just not happy. It's just not good, right? You have moments of happiness within the horrible drab blah of nothing or depression of wishing you weren't there um and i can't i like to think that this has a happy ending this story um but queen dolliphead says that it's not a happy ending and i know people can manage their depression without medication i'm not gonna shame you if you don't take it if that's what you can do like some people do get by on like exercise and meditation and mindfulness and stuff like that, but I certainly can't. And that's not majority of people. So I don't actually see this having a happy ending. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess I'll bring you down at the end of the fic. If you're thinking, oh yeah, this, this possible for it to be a happy ending. I don't see it that way. Um, but it's a happy ending for me. I am on a good a good medication right now to where I actually am able to do something those days. Those blah days or those days all I can do is get up and go to the store are few and far between, like maybe once a month or once every two months. Um, I can't do everything because, you know, depression is still a thing and like being on the autism spectrum and ADHD makes my focus bad and sometimes it's just too much and I can't get everything done, but I am doing particularly well with my medication, stuff like that. So don't worry about me if you're listening to this. I am in a good place. Um, but yeah, this story was great and poignant. And if you have never experienced depression or are trying to find something to explain it to someone else, definitely point to this because it was a beautifully well-written fic. 
Thank you for listening to this, and I hope you enjoyed it. It's cool.